0: If a Bible this morning, I would encourage you to turn to Psalm 73. This is entitled, The Psalm of Asaph. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, and evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice, in their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. They always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely, in vain have I kept my heart pure, in vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued and I have been punished every morning. Now if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by tears, As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. This morning, I would like to just walk through that psalm with you. Uh, perhaps if you can just imagine with me the writer of this psalm, Asaph is his name. And I want, to ima- I want you just to imagine that he is uh, perhaps giving a sort of God at work in terms of the experience here he's describing that he went through in his life. So I introduced myself this morning as a soft. I work in the temple of David. I have worked in, Demp- in uh, David's temple for quite some time. I was also in charge. Uh, when the ark was transported, I was in charge of the music that surrounded the transporting of the ark. I have nearly a hundred of my relatives that are involved in the temple ministry and we are the ones that are in charge. of. The worship for God's people in Israel as they come in week by week. The experience that took place in my life is, is a very critical one. And it was critical because as a leader of worship of God's people, I am the one that is, is challenged as, as God's people come from their lives every week to encourage them to, to strengthen their faith, to build them up and lift them up. And so I consider my role to be of utmost importance. I consider the place of my own heart to be very important for the people of Israel. Now let me say this up front. Surely, God is good to Israel. But I have to tell you, as for me, my feet had almost slipped because I was envious of the arrogant as I consider the prosperity of those who are wicked. Now things were a little bit different in my day than yours, but I I think you can understand who these people are. These are the people with the money and the people with the power. These are the people with the tan bodies and the nice smiles. These are the people that buy whatever they want. These are the people that have no hesitation to make millions of dollars off of the less fortunate. These are the ones you see when you are waiting to buy your groceries on the pictures of the magazines. These are those who take advantage of others. These are government leaders who use their positions to pad their pockets. And as I looked around me, it just seemed there was no accountability there. It just seemed like they had a free ticket, a free ride to do whatever they wanted, and no one, not even God Himself, was holding them accountable. I think for me it started with a number of disappointments in my own life, in my family, in the things that I was doing, in the in the work of the ministry and some other things going on in my life I'm not going to get into, but I was, I was experiencing this feeling like perhaps God was punishing me, kind of like I was being plagued all day long. And so I, I, was, I was not in a good place, and I had all these thoughts scrolling through my mind as I'm attempting to lead God's people in worship, of, of drawing people's hearts to a God that I was questioning myself. And so this is all very, very oppressive to me. Until one day, and and I just, I went into the sanctuary of God. I, I had not spoken these things publicly. And, and I am so thankful that I, I did not because I, by my words, would have betrayed those who had been faithful before me. I would have been betraying the the children who were there who were trusting God for the future. But this whole thing changed one day when I went to the sanctuary and and I heard from God, and perhaps this has happened to you, where you're in one place and, and you finally take the time to just seek God and to come into his presence and All of a sudden, God just totally changes your whole perspective and how you look at things. The first thing I realized that God showed me was the destiny of those that I'm jealous of. I mean, I realized that all the stuff, that all the money, that all the power, that all the things that they were accumulating for themselves... that all of it would come to a quick end. It was, it was kind of like a group of hikers who are laughingly walking along a high ridge, but just around the corner. The trail gets slick and would surely lead to their fall and to their ruin. I realized it was, it was like a dream you know what it's like when you, when you dream and you, you have this dream and then all of a sudden you wake up in the morning and you realize that what you're dreaming was not reality now that you're awake you're, you're back to reality and I realize that these people's lives were just like a dream and that one day they would wake up and they would realize that their whole lives had been simply a dream that they had never lived in reality and the reality was that they would be accountable before God They thought they had it all, when in reality they have nothing. And so I have to be honest with you, I was was extremely embarrassed. I was ashamed of myself. I had been bitter. I had been complaining. I had been feeling sorry for myself in this place of self-pity. kind of like an animal, like a, like a beast before God. And, and yet, I realized in that moment, and, and God came to me with his, with, not with anger and, and not with a slap in the face, but he came to me with grace, and he came to me with tenderness, and he came to me with comfort, and he sort of slew me in his love. I realized I have the promise of His presence. I realized that He takes me by my right hand, and I may stumble, but I will never fall. I realized that He guides me with His Spirit. And I realized when all is said and done, that He will take me into glory. By the end of my time with God in that sanctuary, I can honestly say that I realized that if with God I had everything that I needed. That even if my heart and even if my flesh fail, that God is bigger than that, that God is beyond that, that God is even bigger than death. And that God is the strength of my heart. And so I'm here to tell you today I wouldn't trade I wouldn't trade God for for the richest of the rich or for the most powerful of the most powerful in our day. It is simply enough for me to be near God. I've made him my refuge. I will tell of all the wonderful things he has done. Well, that was the experience of, of Asaph, this man, And it was, it was such a powerful experience in his life that as a poet and as a psalmist, he, he took this experience and he wrote it up in this psalm and published it in the psalm book. And the people of Israel would come and they would actually sing this psalm. And we can only imagine that there were people that had lived this psalm that week, that had, had hard times and began to wonder if it was worth serving God wondering if people that didn't honor God had perhaps even a better life than they did. And so we see this psalm as a very important piece in the worship of Israel. This psalm really is talking about envy. And, you know, envy was, you find envy all through the Bible. You don't have to go very far. Cain and Abel, You know, Cain killed Abel out of envy. He just just walks through the Bible. There's Jacob and Esau. They were Joseph's brothers. There was Saul, who was envious of David. There was David, who was envious of Uriah and the wife that he had. There was Herod, who was envious of potential power of the coming Messiah and slaughtered all of the infants in his envy. We see people doing terrible things in their envy. We see Judas betraying Jesus. And his love for money. And so we, we see these examples. We see Paul talking about those who preach the gospel out of envy. Do you ever get envious of other people? Do you ever get envious of those that don't seem to give God the time of day except to perhaps use His name in vain? Not that you want to be like them. You just like some of the things that they have. I mean, envy can be as obvious as the guy who pulls up in the new pickup next to you and you look at it and go, wow, that's really nice. To uh, just very subtly wishing you had maybe a different marriage or maybe a boyfriend or a girlfriend or maybe a gift in ministry that someone else has. Envy comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Let me give you a very simple definition of envy. Envy is craving something that God has not given you. Anytime you crave something that God has not given you, you are entering into this place of envy. Now, we all have desires. There's a fine line between desire and envy. And desires can very easily move into this arena of envy. This psalm was intended to be instructive. It was intended to speak to us when we find ourselves, any time we find ourselves moving into this place of envy, this psalm is a great one to meditate on and think about. And so let me just share a few things here about this, some things that we can learn Four little phrases from the psalm and four points. Number one, he says, I envied the arrogant. Here's the first one. Remember, we're all prone to envy. Every one of us is prone to envy. None of us are beyond that in this room. I mean, how many of you have ever stood in front of a closet full of clothes and said, I have nothing to wear? Or a refrigerator full of food. There's nothing to eat. Or we stand before God as co-heirs. Think of that. Co-heirs with Christ. And we start feeling sorry for ourselves because we don't feel like we're blessed. We are all prone to envy, especially when life is not going well. Because that's when we begin to observe others who are having problems that aren't as big as ours, and we begin to move into this arena of feeling sorry for ourselves. We live in such a materialistic culture. Everywhere we go, it faces us. We live in a hedonistic culture. Uh, the desire for pleasure is all around us. It's in our faces everywhere we go. More stuff, more fun, more pleasure. Now, let me just remind you that God created pleasure, and God created things. So, the question is not, I'm not saying that pleasure or things are bad. What I'm saying is, is that when those pleasures and that stuff are taken away, what's left? Are we still content? You know, how much do those things mean to us? What do we have left? Do we continue to sense and feel and live with the awareness that we have something of great value in our lives even when those things are being pulled away or when we're being called to sacrifice them. You know, when it's all said and done, is your life really blessed apart from the stuff you own and the fun things that you do? Now, we all enjoy the temporal blessings God gives us. We enjoy all of them. And I think that was intended by God. But again, the question is, when they are pulled back through loss or through, uh, you know, life, what do we have left? What do we have left? So, envy is a constant. It is a constant challenge for all of us. The second thing we hear is, what do we need to do in that, in that situation in our lives? And We, we need to he says, I entered the sanctuary. In other words, we need to hear from God in worship in our lives. That's what Asaf here does when he finds himself in this place. He says, it was very oppressive to me. He says, in fact, I was, at, I was just at that point where I'm just, I was just about ready to publicly question the character of God. And he went into the sanctuary. He got alone with God. Often the more harried we get, the faster we run. But we need to get alone and we need to hear from God because we become so easily driven, driven by the culture, driven by everything around us. The culture is constantly calling for our attention and our focus. It has our eyes. It has our ears. I'm I'm doing this message on Psalm three and uh, Psalm seventy three, and I'm I'm reading articles, and every article I go, there's another advertisement. Did computers used to have all these advertisements? I mean, I used to enjoy, you know, you could go on the computer, and unlike the TV, there weren't advertisements. Now it's like constant. And so I'm 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 meditating on on Psalm, you know, on this Psalm seventy three, and and people are trying to. Sell me everything from you know insurance uh, to deodorant, and there are uh, you know Asian women looking for boyfriends and programs to develop abs of steel. And this stuff is just coming at you constantly, constantly in our culture through our technology. I remember as a kid. How many of you have been down the Apple River? few people, okay? Somerset, Wisconsin. You get these big tubes. You go plop your bottom in the center of one of those tubes and you just float. The current just takes you. You don't have to paddle. You don't have to do anything. The current just takes you down this lazy river. And uh, there's lots of people there. And you get down to the bottom and there's about a three foot drop. And you know, when you're down in the water you can't see it coming. And as you follow the current, it will drop you, and, and this drop goes all the way along, and it kind of goes down and swirls under. And people come, and they're floating down, and they've got these coolers, and, uh and I mean, big coolers. They're toting along behind, and people are getting pretty, uh, there's a lot of alcohol going on, and people are there, and you watch people, and they as they're going over, this fall, unbeknownst to them, with their coolers and their $120 designer sunglasses, and they come up and they've got nothing left. The cooler's gone, 200 yards downstream, there's people down in the water picking up cans of beer and throwing them up on the shore and and picking up all the stuff that's been stripped away. And I think of that image, and I think that's the image here that that Asaph or Asaph had of, of people in life is that you know life is is one great party and all of a sudden all of a sudden they become accountable and they realize they've got nothing left they've been stripped of everything and that's what the culture does Jesus said there's this broad road there's this wide gate to get on it and it is so broad you can go to sleep on that road and you won't hit the ditch and then there's another road, and it's narrow, and it's, it's much more difficult. You have to be much more attentive to walk the narrow road. What we see here Asaph doing, or Saf is he's, he's taking himself out of his culture. He's, he's getting out of the current into a quiet eddy where he can gain a new perspective. thirdly, we see, he says, I understood their final destiny. And and this was the perspective that God gave him. He understood. We need God's perspective. Life is about focus, and focus needs to be about value. Let me explain what I mean by that. Asaph here, he he is transformed by seeing this perspective. I mean, it just changes everything about him. And it's not because he got psyched up that he was going to be more disciplined in denying himself all of these things that he was looking at in other people. It wasn't because he said, oh, this is the price I have to pay as a Christian. What happened was he realized he didn't need that stuff. When he realized that that stuff that he was envying was really not of any value because it's going to be gone very shortly. He realized you can't take it with you. And so he realizes there he doesn't need that. He doesn't need the world. He has something far greater than those that he's envying. And so he is actually here, you know, realizing that, you know, there was really nothing to be jealous of in these people. He saw their end, and he saw one day they would lose everything in a day. And then Asaf realized the future that he had as one of God's people. I've been in church ministry now for 35 years. The reason I have invested my life in it is because it's where it's at. Certainly God has called me, but, you know, it's, it's, life is not in Wall Street and, and it's not in Hollywood and it's not in your favorite sports team. Because Christ is coming back, and please don't be offended by this, but he's not coming back for the Packers. He's coming back for the church. He's coming back for the church. And one day, it will be brought to light that what history is about is about Jesus Christ and his church. And so it only makes sense to in, invest your life in the church, to realize if you're a part of the church, you are a part of something that transcends history or something that transcends the temporal values and, and nature of life, that you have invested your life in something that will go on. That there is a kingdom out there, but it's not the kingdom of this world. And people that are doing very well in the kingdom of this world are going to one day discover... That that was not the kingdom that you wanted to invest your life in. That God's kingdom is coming in the hearts of people. It's in the church. It's in his people. And he will come and he will set up his new kingdom and his new reign. And those who are rich and and those who have it made are those who are part of that kingdom. And so all of this, Asaph here, is realizing He gains a whole new perspective on what's valuable in life. And finally, he says, For me, it is good to be near God. And what he's saying is that simply knowing God and knowing his presence really, truly is all he needs. Proverbs 23 17 it says this do not let your heart envy sinners but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord there is surely a future hope for you your hope will not be cut off what he's saying there is don't envy sinners because their hope is going to be dramatically cut short as you seek the fear of God in your life and and to know God in your life your hope will never be cut off. You have a hope that will endure. This is just such a this is just such a it, it's such a strange thing. But you know, I have I have learned that sometimes the more people are stripped, the more things that are stripped away, the happier people become. Uh, I, I've. I've shared about my, uh, a couple examples came to my mind. I, the gentleman that I bought my truck from up in Roseau, you can be glad I sold it before I came here, but it was a big old F-250, and it had been rolled. It was a four-wheel drive. <coughs> I bought it uh, very cheaply. I bought it from a guy at Rochester at the hospital, and he had, he'd gone off, he'd been doing uh, 80 miles an hour on a 35-mile-an-hour corner with it, and couldn't quite hold it on the road. <coughs> Ended up in in the ambulance with two broken legs, two broken arms, a pe- uh, fractured pelvis, ribs, two punctured lungs, and a concussion. And in the ambulance, on the way to the hospital, he asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into his life. <laughs> I'm talking to this guy, and, and he's now he's now a paraplegic. And he looked at me, and he said, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So here's a guy who gave up his legs and his ability to walk, and he said, you know what? I'd rather have Jesus. And, and you, you'll see that principle in people that as, as things of life are stripped away and people are forced, that they're forced to either to despair or, to, or to, look to, to look to God, that they begin to discover that God is enough. But there's a lot of things we treasure here temporally that can be stripped away, and God will still be enough. In fact, the more that those things are taken away, the more we realize God is enough. Right before we left to come here, Vicki and I talk about this every so often. We're at the funeral for an 18-year-old girl. One of Vicki and, I, and, and uh, I's best friends up there, their daughter, 18 years old, uh, was tragically killed. And we talk about that memorial service. It was about two, I don't know how long it was, two, two and a half hours. I mean, we walked out of that building, parents, everyone, and and people were saying, that was the most wonderful place I have ever been. At the memorial service of your 18-year-old daughter, the most wonderful place I have ever been because the presence of God was so powerful in that place. And to the psalmist here is saying, you know, to just experience the presence of God even in the midst of very difficult times. There's nothing like it. And that is our future hope. And that is our future glory. And that is our future promise. And so this morning... I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I'm going to play a song, and I'm going to conclude my message with this. I, I think a Soph here could have could have written this song if he lived in our day. This is a song that I that I would like at my funeral because it expresses. It just so well expresses. Uh, my life here on this earth and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask this ask you just to close your eyes and, and just allow the words of the song to uh, minister to your spirit.